Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and it is time to check in. It's Jobs Reports Friday in Canada and the U.S., so let's check in with the hardest working economist in Canada, Eric LaSalle's, although I think we should actually, maybe we should reframe that, the fastest running economist in Canada. I, I, you tell, tell, tell this story. I think this is, this is fantastic. You left, you let off your, uh, your macro memo with the story about your uh, track and field exploits. You still got it. Right. You, you're, you're outing me here, Dave. Uh, so I, I was a runner once upon a time. That was my sport yep. back in high school and university. Okay. And so several decades later, let the record show, I thought it might be neat to see if I've still got anything left in the tank. And there are people may know there are master's competitions for older runners. I happen to have hit a not, not a fully round number, but half a round number, if you can figure out what that means. <laughs> but anyhow, I, I hit a new age category. And so I thought, OK, if I'm ever going to do this, this is the year. And so I tried to train the last couple of months. It was complete failure of training. I was injured every moment of the whole experience and about literally six to seven different ways but I, I did sort of make half an effort and I ran a, a little track meet or two and uh, I showed up uh, at the Ontario Masters Championships and I guess it goes to show uh, that uh, they run the races for a reason because in theory I was I was ranked fairly far down and I got to win the 400 meters and so let the record show wow. I, I am both the fastest 400 meter runner for my age and also the fourth or no, fifth slowest in the province if you believe the number of people who bother to show up for these sorts of things so <laughs> don't get don't get too excited about that but uh, yes that was fun and then I did the 200 the next day and did much worse <laughs> oh, and well, I'm, that, I'm still sore to this day that is uh that is absolutely awesome that's uh yeah I, lo I loved reading about that I thought the listeners would uh would enjoy hearing that story it's uh it, it's uh, it really is uh, it, it's it's great when you can go back and uh, and relive that past glory in the in the different age categories and it's uh, it's great that like you say you still got it in in some ways right <laughs> remember why I stopped uh, and, and many other things too that's right yes uh, in any event it, it was fun it was a good time and I even you sort of had to join a club to get into the meet and so I joined a club I met them all the day of the meet but they were lovely people I had a great time we all <laughs> ate we all ate jerk chicken together it was a jam can the Jamaican Canadian International Track Club lots of older sprinters do that so that's why I yeah. Yeah. with them and it was uh, it was fun we even ran some relays it was great gee if you can get me some good jerk i might start running again but that would be <laughs> uh, that would be completely disastrous okay well let's get to the let's get to the job numbers because uh you're uh, you're a good runner but you're a great economist let's uh let let's see what you what did you think about the uh, the u.s and canadian job numbers this morning yeah, well, they were certainly a bit softer than expected. That, I guess that's yeah. the unifying theme across the two of them. The U.S. print was 187,000. The expectation had been something a little over 200,000. So not, not a big miss, but but certainly a miss. And you know, I'm sure we'll get to Canada in more detail later, but Canada actually shed jobs in, in the month wow. of, uh, of wow. July. And so 6,000 jobs were lost. And that's the second decline in three months. Now, the month in the middle was so great that you really can't say too many yes. negative things, even on a trend basis, but still, you're, you're starting to string together a, a few negatives, it seems like, in Canada. But, but on the U.S. side, so it was a further deceleration, or more precisely, Dave, it was not a further deceleration, because yes. the thing that always confuses us is that they, they revised the prior month's data. And so, was this announcement weaker than last month's announcement? It sure was, but in the meantime, they announced today they revised last month's, and they brought that down in a way that actually rendered them about the same. So, it was 187 thousand jobs created this month it was 185,000 last month we thought it was 209 but anyways it was it was 185 and so you know, a little bit softer I mean it's not a horrible number it's still more than enough to keep an economy chugging along but uh, by the same token uh, payrolls averaged 400,000 a month in 2022 uh, and had been running a whole lot of 300s in much of 2023 and so here we are now not just into the low 200s but into the, the high 100s and again there's nothing 
horrible with the level, but the trend is is somewhat weaker, and the revision trend is also weaker. So as per yes. the comment about last month, the prior month that also saw a downward revision. So you, you lost 49,000 jobs just in the re-estimation over those two prior months. Um, to me, by the way, this doesn't get as much play as it should, but to me, maybe the most important thing is you can actually tally up the number of workers, of course, but also the number of hours that each worker worked. And so you can make a statement about the total number of hours being worked in the economy. That was actually down uh, 0.2% in the month of July. So actually, there was just less labor output, you could say. Um, it's actually probably not quite true, since in theory, productivity could have risen or fallen or something. But anyways, there were fewer hours were worked across all the workers in the U.S. economy in, in the month of July. If, if you're saying, uh, duh, it's the month of July, people take holidays, these are seasonally adjusted. So that's not, you know, that, that's not part okay. of the story here. And so, you know, there was some real weakness. Uh, you know, the IT sector information lost 12,000 jobs. Manufacturing lost a little bit of jobs as well, which was interesting. Uh, temporary help continues to lose jobs. That's been a constant theme. That's, by the way, one of our leading indicators for recession. When temporary employment turns negative, that almost always leads permanent employment. And the logic being, of course, if you're suddenly revisiting your labor needs as a, as a CEO, perhaps, uh, you, you know, it's easiest to get rid of the temporary. We don't even need to do anything. You just don't need to that, ask them back right. for the next week. And you know, later on, perhaps you make more uh, aggressive changes. Uh, and so in, in general, it was a bit softer. Uh, I will say, just to confuse us all, the unemployment rate fell uh, despite the weaker hiring. And so uh, from 3.6 to 3.5. But I think the real story here is, listen, it's it's been 3.4, It's just sort of jittering around in, in that territory at this point in time. You might recall uh, that unemployment number actually comes from a different survey altogether, which uh, was a little bit better this time. It, it, it's a bit less trustworthy, but you, know, you can't figure out how many people aren't working by asking, you know, corporate HR departments, they have no idea about the people who aren't on their payrolls, so you have to do it a bit of a different way. Um, but by no means is there a collapse here, because we saw the ADP print just a few days ago, and it was fine, and jobless claims, they're you know, trending higher, depending on what kind of smoothing function you want to use. You could say they're trending sure. lower the last couple of weeks if you really wanted to, but I would say trending higher on a, on a multi-month basis. And so a little bit weaker, uh, but I guess the market interpretation is is, is interesting because it's, it's not quite what you would expect. We, we've got a, a stock market that I guess rallying a bit less than it was a moment ago, but nevertheless, as I look at it, it's, it's, it's up, uh, you could say on the news. Uh, and so I guess that the, the twist here is Really strong employment would be viewed negatively by the market because it means, uh-oh, central banks have to raise rates and inflation's a problem. You know, really weak employment would be viewed negatively as well because it would be the recession call. You know, soft-ish employment is perhaps being viewed constructively just because it it might speak to a soft landing scenario in which you slow down, but you don't quite get a recession and inflation gets better and you just sort of work your way through without too many adventures on the high end or the low end. I personally think that we're decelerating in a way that keeps decelerating and it eventually leads to something like a recession. But, you know, I, I can't say this one month is, is definitive of that at this point. I, I, I guess one of the problematic numbers in it, although, again, the market interpretation seems to suggest eh, we're not too concerned about that, is that uh, wages or average hourly earnings were, were up a little bit more than expected. And that's kind of you would think that that's kind of what the Fed would be looking at. Because the numbers are, like you say, the numbers are are decelerating, and and then particular, this is several months in a row where we've had adjustments down for for previous months, which uh, which you which you highlighted. Um, we, but but that 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 earnings is is what drives the I, I guess the the sustainability of inflation 
um, in the economy, right? Like if you've got, and, and you're seeing it as, and just again, just for, for, for those of us who are watching these monthly reports come out, and obviously we, we, we get you on to talk about them, but, but you just see announcements coming out different uh, strikes and settlements and these settlements seem to be coming in at you know fairly high levels in terms of increases over two three four year periods and one of the things i remember you highlighting at the front end of this inflation jump or spike was one of the differences between the you know today and the 1970s where you know, most people were in unions in the early 1970s, mid 1970s. So they they basically renegotiated all these contracts long term, right? Collective bargaining agreements, mm-hmm. and they were all at excessively high uh, high wage increases. Uh, not as many people in unions now, but you look across the economy, and it seems like you've 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 got a a labor market that, again maybe decelerating in terms of employment gains, but it still seems like labor has the upper hand over over the employer in terms of the negotiations. I, th- I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm not sure if I'd take you know, one month of wages popping up a bit to, to necessarily yeah. speak to some profound pivot in that. But in general, you're, you're quite right, which is that you know, workers are still in a pretty good position. And so wage growth, whether it was the, uh, what was the, where's my number here? We, whether it was the 4.2% uh, last time or the, the, pardon me, it's 4.4, it was supposed to fall to 4.2 and it didn't. That's the annual wage growth. Pardon me. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's fast enough. It's not the, you know, it's not the nearly six peak that we had seen, but it's, it's fast enough. We actually did some work, by the way, and like, this isn't a great measure because it doesn't control for kind of the quality of worker and the type of job and things like that. And so we look at an Atlanta Fed medium, median wage measure, which is certainly decelerating, but actually more like a six right now. So further to your point, which is that yeah. actually, if you maybe control for the right things, wage growth is is still pretty fast. And so, I mean, the way we're thinking about this is, is just that indeed, you know, wages usually do play some catch up later in the cycle and they play some catch up you know, after the inflation spike because the w- wages aren't as flexible. They don't adjust in, in real time to, to changing uh, purchasing power and costs and things like that. So we're, we're seeing that. Uh, I, I, th- I think there's a limit to how far that will go just because we are also seeing that maybe labor cloud is, is softening a bit just as hiring slows and as corporate mentalities are, are shifting. Uh, you're quite right on the unionization side. And so that's it's particularly extreme in the UK where just strikes galore. And we have some charts that actually track the number of labor actions. And it's just mind boggling how extreme th- th- that particular situation has been. Um, we're seeing more than normal elsewhere and, and you know, certainly fairly generous wage settlements, as, as you've mentioned. Um, not not as extreme, I think, as maybe we think. And of course, the headlines are focusing on those that are are, are pretty notable. Um, note as well, of course, you know, wage growth is only inflationary to the extent that it outpaces productivity growth. And actually, we did for the U.S. get quite a handsome looking productivity number recently. I should say after the prior quarter was awful. So again, you could you know almost craft whatever narrative you care to, but uh, that that's helping a little bit again as well. But yeah, bottom line is is we think inflation can fall further from here, but wages and the labor market are one of the things that's going to make it a slower process. And so I think that and, I guess that's reflected here. And and I think that's what I was trying to suss out of you there was the uh, the the idea that, that 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 a lot of these wage gains come at the at the tail end of the cycle. You, yeah, that's you, right. you see that that uh, and and then all of a sudden and you, you mentioned temporary workers and that so all of a sudden oh the temporary workers aren't coming in and it's like oh wait a minute now oh, maybe we don't need you anymore with your big raise and uh, <laughs> and and so which which is ultimately where where you get to when you when you go into an economic slowdown which I I I I'd have to think is still your base case scenario that this this ultimately ends in in a recession. 
So that is our base case scenario. I mean, j just to, to set the stage for that, I will say that the stock market's been awfully happy lately. The economy, notwithstanding, you know, a bit of weakness here, deceleration, it, it's been hanging on. And so a, a lot of people are giving up on that call. And we track, you know, B Bloomberg has a recession probability measure and it's just a survey of economists. And so, you know, still saying recession is pretty likely, but, but you know, the people are thinking it's less likely than it was uh, in, in some cases, notably less likely for some countries. Uh, I can say that, uh, uh, you know, the increase in bond yields maybe reflects a little bit of that that thinking as, as well. Uh, and so all of that suggests that, yeah, fewer people are predicting recession. Uh, we're not totally immune to that. We recognize, hey, the economy isn't in recession right now. And so some some forecast tweaking is is necessary. And uh, you know, as inflation comes down, you know, the, the odds that, that you know, we, we need a real deep one to fix things has diminished. And so the way I would put it is, you know, psychologically, it, it you know, sort of hurts to hang on to a recession call when you've been predicting it for a while. Where is it? It's not here. Uh, in fact, we just just did our internal quarterly investment summit, and my presentation was titled "Where's the Recession?" with a big question mark <laughs> on the end. And we were kind of working through leads and legs, and is it still plausible that the window is open? Is is the window closing? Is it just opening for that matter? And you know, looking at at historical rate shocks, the conclusion was no, it's still wide open. And if anything, it's getting a little wider uh, as opposed to narrower over the next several quarters. And so, you now whether one happens or not, you would say at least it's plausible that we could get one. Uh, you know, fundamentally, the reason we're still calling for it is we're trying to steer clear of the emotional desire to you know to align with the consensus and to to yes. feel better about things and we're just saying well you know we, we still have big fancy economic models that say you should get a recession when rates go up this much uh, we have a big suite of, of simpler heuristics and rules of thumb that most of which say you, sh you should be getting a recession when the yield curve is inverted other things like that have happened uh, and then we just actually updated our business cycle work and the business cycle work uh, actually advanced it, it had been saying end of cycle it's actually now saying recession more than not now again we're not in one how do you interpret this i mean it's all a little bit blurry and it always is but it, i guess the point being it's not backing away from the notion that we're very late in the cycle if not uh, venturing forward so we think it still makes sense to predict that uh, i will make three confessions though so one confession is just from a probabilistic standpoint i guess at our peak we had been saying 80 percent chance of a recession we have pulled that down a little bit it's now sitting at about a 65 percent chance over the next year so that is a bit of a retreat i will admit uh, in terms of the timing, we had been saying at one point, second half of this year, it's not there right now. And so we did bump that back. We're saying the fourth quarter of this year, the first quarter of next year. Uh, and then lastly, in terms of the depth, we'd never called for a deep recession, but we had been saying, I think sort of mild to middling was the phraseology we had used. Is that a word? Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> and so now we're just saying mild. And in numbers, we had predicted as an example for the U.S., a peak to trough GDP decline of 1.4%. Now we're saying 1.1%. So it's, it is a bit milder. It is a little bit less certain. It is a little bit later. So there's been a bit of a retreat here for sure. But but ultimately, the, the models are pretty clear that you would expect a recession. If, if we don't get one, it will be quite an unusual event, and a whole lot of models are going to have to be tossed into the trash bin. So for the moment, I think I think it does it does make more sense. And, and you know, j just you know, logic would suggest, or if you ask the question, well, like have we already felt the full effect of the rate increases well, obviously not, because we can see so many borrowers are fixed in and these sorts of things and have not yet rolled in. Maybe the trickier debate uh, is, 
you know, is the maximum pain two or three years from now, right? And you know, in a Canadian context, and not everyone's a Canadian listener, but in a Canadian context, you know, in theory, 2025 and 2026 is kind of the maximum pain from a rolling up fixed mortgage perspective, though it does depend on where mortgage rates are then, by the way, and I'm not convinced they're going to have to be this high in 2025, 2026. Uh, but so, you know, there, there's certainly, we haven't felt all the pain. Uh, and so, so the debate is, are we going to feel enough over the next six months to a year to get there or not? And theory suggests we should, and, and I guess time will, will tell us whether we do or don't. Well, as, as you probably know, I, I am a, an, an obsessive follower of all of your content. And when you look at the, just, just the, those key metrics that historically have always pointed to a recession, they are all flashing that something's coming. And, and so uh, it, it, like it, it, what's, 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 what's odd about this cycle would be how low rates got, right? And then the ability in, in a modern economy and with, with modern financial tools on, on the credit side for people to lock in those lower rates and an awareness to lock in those lower rates. Um, and so it, 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 it's not surprising, I, I guess, that, that it's taking longer for the effects of these higher rates to kick in in any way at all. Uh, but, you know, looking at, at some of the work uh, that, that you produce on uh, lending standards and what's happening uh, there, and you just, you just line up previous recessions up against that spike in the tightening of lending standards, and, you know, it's just the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, if you think of the economy as a big engine, you need oil in the engine, and the, and, and the engine will run for a little bit without enough oil in it. But if you take the oil, which is credit, out of the out of the marketplace, you know you that that engine's going to stop running at some point, or at least stop running at the at the rate that it is running before. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great analogy. Oh, there we go. Well, wait, wait a minute. I'm I'm almost I'm almost speechless. I think that's the first time you liked <laughs> one of my analogies in all the time we've been together. So 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 then what what do you do? Um, head of the Bank of Canada, Eric Lascelles, Chairman of the Federal oh Reserve, Eric Lascelles. What are you doing with this one? My mother was American. Does that mean I can do both at the same time? I think, you, the... I think you can. Oh, excellent. Okay. I'm, I, you know, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, beyond the citizenship issue, maybe some other me measures of qualification. But um, on, on those fronts, uh, well, I mean, the Bank of Canada seems to think maybe it's done. The Fed is, is waffling a little bit, but both are explicitly in data-dependent mode. We learned that from the, what are effectively the minutes that came from the Bank of Canada. Uh, I think it was just earlier this, this week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and last week maybe. Uh, and and similarly from the Fed, I mean, it's, it's clear they're, they're in a data-dependent mode. So there, there is no certainty here. It does depend on how the economy uh, evolves and how inflation evolves. Uh, I, I would say our, our thinking is that the Fed, all else equal, is perhaps inclined towards another rate hike. So we'd be inclined to think that could come around in September. Uh, the default assumption for Canada is maybe that is it for Canada. So a, a little bit, a little bit of a different story there. But in both cases, just kind of probing and feeling and seeing just what's necessary to achieve their objectives. And you know, as I've said before, inflation looks quite good on the surface, and it's you know three percent or below in in the north. In fact, in both countries, ever so slightly below three percent. Um, but, you know, core inflation is not there yet. Service inflation isn't there yet. Inflation X gas isn't there yet. Uh, we, we do know, for instance, um, 
it's going to be a little tougher sledding in the next few months on the inflation front. I mean, for one would be, by the way, I filled up two different cars, gas tanks in the last few days and my jaw's dropping again. Like the price, you know, we knew oil was up. It was, you know, it was, it was $70 a barrel. Now it's 80 plus. Uh, that is most certainly mapping through into gas prices. So we're going to get a little bit of gas inflation in the short run. Uh, and so that's, that's a challenge. The real-time inflation metrics we look at, we're coming down beautifully. They're kind of going sideways a little bit going forward. We know the base effects aren't quite as easy in the future. I mean, you were kind of knocking out big monthly gains from a year before that were falling out of the equation. You think back to July 2022, that was the first month things started to soften up a bit. So we're not going to get to remove big, ugly numbers to, to help us in our in our quest towards lower inflation. So it's going to be a little harder. And so that might you know keep central banks going a, a little bit longer. Um, I, I do think we're, we're near the end, but uh, but it's, it's maybe not quite there, particularly for the U.S. And, and, and the Bank of England, just to add another central bank. And, and here, or I'll, I'm going to give you another one. Let's see what you think of this one. So between March and June, I travel a lot. So I'm out on the road. And when you travel, you eat poorly. You might have the odd drink with dinner. I'm not saying I do, but you, you might. So I gained 15 pounds between uh -oh. March and June, right? So now I go into, into July, I go on a diet, and I, I take the first 10 pounds off like nothing. Boom. Just, just adjust the behaviors. Boom, I'm down 10. Those last five pounds, man, I am struggling the last three weeks to even get a to even get a little bit of that last five off, and that's really the challenge. Inflation's the same way. So I inflated, I deflated from from my peak very quickly, but to get back down to where I was, that last little bit is the really tough part when it comes to inflation. And the central banks are kind of so. So what am I doing? Well, I'm continuing my diet into August. The central banks are continuing their their tightening a little bit longer, and maybe maybe make those last little. You know, a little 25 basis point here, a little 50 basis point overall here, just to make absolutely sure um, their clothes are going to fit when they go on vacation for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Dave, Dave, maybe you should head down to your local track and run a 400 meters. It worked wonders for me over the last couple I, of weeks. I, 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 don't, I don't run. I walk quickly. I think that's... Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fair there was a race walking event, by the way. Oh, very good. Uh, uh, but, 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 but to your point, I mean, you're absolutely right. And just keep in mind, from a risk-reward perspective, uh, you know, they do not want a 1970s experience where our job is done, and then it wasn't done, and you know, you don't want to make these right. mistakes of, of, of stopping prematurely, so you err on the side of going a bit too far i mean the question is have they already gone too far there's it's, it's such a you know dismal science that you really can't say precisely but it, it, it does incline them to go a little bit further until they really have a, a high level of confidence you know the other thing and i don't know why I'm, I'm working myself into a lather about central banks being hawkish since that wasn't kind of the point here it just you know maybe they're not quite done is is the point uh, but I, I keep thinking and maybe we even said this last month but uh you know if the most interest rate sensitive sector of the economy uh is rising then are interest rates actually high enough? And so I'm referring to housing here. And so like the yes, housing market yes. has been bouncing. If housing is bouncing, maybe maybe this isn't all that restrictive a, a monetary policy. And so not, not that that's the goal by any means. I think we get that even though there's an inflation component to that, it's, it's so, so lagged that it's it's all a, a bit blurry as to how much they should actually care about that. But, you know, it's interesting that housing is bouncing at a, you know, 5% type policy rate. And so, you know, that, that would be the other argument that well, maybe we do need to go a little bit further. Okay, and then let's um, let's get to, to just one last thing, which is a question that, you know, at different points in time has been front and center. I know when I'm out talking to investors, there's always someone in the audience who comes up and says, well, but we've got trillions of dollars of debt in the U.S. and hundreds of billions of dollars in Canada. How can this persist? It can't go on. Debt is going to be a problem. And sure enough, we see 
uh, one of the uh, debt rating agencies in the U.S. downgrade the U.S. from AAA to AA plus, and this happened before, and and the timing of it was really weird, but it did put the idea of debt front and center, and with all of the spending that you've seen, uh, particularly in the U.S., you've now got issuance of debt, which has to be absorbed in the marketplace, and the Fed's not buying anymore, so hold the whole supply demand on debt and volumes and all of this comes back front and center what are you, what are your thoughts on that because we've certainly seen a little bit of a pop in some of the longer term yields over the last couple of weeks we have yeah i mean the us 10 years 4.1 as i'm looking at it right now which is yeah. which is quite a quite a leap and not a not a low number uh, and and higher than it was just a, just a few days ago uh, so so the debt downgrade i mean i i think i think it was ultimately appropriate uh, i mean the, the the us has a big debt uh, it's it's running a big deficit kind of a weirdly big deficit that's a weirdly small teacup, by the way, Dave. Anyways, a weirdly, <laughs> we need to get this on video next time. Uh, that looked like it came from a little Nadal set or something it's like a, that. It's an espresso cup. Okay. Espresso. Okay. Mr. Fancy espresso. No, here. it's very, very healthy on a diet, right? I take a straight espresso instead of something with milk or okay. sugar in it. It's very, very healthy for the for the dieting guy. So we have Fair to enough. do to get those last five pounds off, right? Okay, noted, noted. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the downgrade was appropriate. It was big debt, big, big deficit. You know, political turmoil, the debt ceiling. You know, near, near disaster just just a couple of months ago. I, I mean, maybe the timing is a little funny. The reality is these are you know, quasi bureaucratic organizations, and it takes them a while to say, okay, now is the time to to pull the trigger. No, nobody's looking to them to them for the real time assessment. So I don't disagree with the downgrade. And of course, S and P downgraded them in 2011, if memory serves. And uh, and, and so the relevant thing here is you've got two out of the three major debt rating agencies. That have downgraded them. Two out of three is basically what your rating is, and so you know S and P could do it, and it didn't really change who was allowed to buy what because there were still two AAA ratings. Now there's only one AAA rating. There's two AA plus ratings, and so they're they're AA plus. And so you know, once upon a time there would have been concern that certain investors wouldn't be allowed to hold the treasuries because their mandates were AAA only or something like this. I'm sure there's still a little bit of that, but having done our due diligence it doesn't seem like there's much of that certainly it doesn't constrict us if that's if that's of, of any interest but I, I don't think there are too many parties who will be constricted from that uh, you could debate whether yields should rise or fall when the US is downgraded in any other country you'd say well of course yields will rise because you need to insert a risk premium and I guess the risk of default is incrementally higher albeit low uh, but uh, in the US case of course as a safe haven currency you could get a safe haven bid if people are nervous about this new development that's actually what what, what really d did happen in a, in a significant way uh, at prior junctures. And so, uh, interestingly, though, we've seen yields up, not down. I think more of it was the economy hanging on and, and, and that sort of thing. But a little bit of it, I suppose, was also, uh, I guess, the downgrade, inserting a little bit of a risk premium. Um, this is not a unique U.S. issue, by the way, which is a lot of countries are running big deficits right now. A yes. uh, bond market is waking up as quantitative easing turns into quantitative tightening, and, and you need private sector players to to absorb uh, all of this all of this debt. Uh, and you know it's it's a strange state of affairs given that unemployment is low when economies are you know strong or at least you know there's there's no slack in the economy uh, and so it's not a normal place to have these big deficits and we know governments are under a lot of pressure to spend more and so spend on on the military and on aging populations and on climate change and on you know industrial policy these days is big the cost of servicing the debt is big so it's really there's a real push and pull here and they're they're not all in alignment with one another and so I don't think the US is going to run into too much trouble here but we do think that you know countries are going to need bigger risk premiums the ones that are not as well behaved and I won't go quite so 
far as to say defaults and things because I don't have a good sense for that. But but I will say that uh, it's it's a tricky situation on the fiscal front. And in theory, countries are going to need to do some fiscal austerity over the next several years. And you know certainly the timing may not be ideal if we were to get a recession. And maybe they can just defer it for a little bit if that if that happens. But nevertheless, there's going to be I think there's going to have to be a fair bit less fiscal support going forward because uh, this fiscal picture isn't is, isn't perfect whatsoever. And and we saw this this small example in in the U.S. Well, let's get your dual citizenship hat on here because this makes you uh, perfectly qualified to answer this question along with your economics background and everything. Some of my American friends go, how can we be double A plus and Canada still holds a triple A rating? How is that even possible? We're, we're the United States of America and you're just little Canada. How can that even be possible? Right. Well, I mean, you, you can argue any country that you know has its own currency could, in theory, just print money to a point that the risk of default is is nil. And so, you know, there <laughs> yeah. are. I guess everybody deserves a AAA in that in that little world. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that argument, just in the sense the U.S. is so big and so deep and such a trusted market globally, and and you know, it is would be better positioned if it had to to print money and you know do all the crazy things that might have to be done if if somehow it came push came to shove. Um, but but you know, just you know, looking at things objectively. Uh, uh, you know, debt level is lower in Canada. The deficit is a lot smaller in Canada. The political discord is hardly perfect, but it's a lot less. And so I think just by objective measures, you could say one country seems fairly stable and 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 so more more under control than than the other. And I think I think that that's where they're 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 going and what they're looking at is essentially. Uh, and you know what? I mean, I think I think it is. I don't know if it'll be much of a wake up call, but I think it may be a useful wake up call, perhaps, and might encourage uh, even politicians to mention the, the the word deficit when campaigning and things like yes. that in the yes. U.S. Yes. And perhaps you know, I, I still think back to the uh, to the uh, to the 2000 election, uh, and uh, you know th they were running a surplus briefly, and there was a lockbox and all sorts of things. What are we going to do with all this money? And uh, and you know fiscal matters did did get attention even when it was not a problem it was like a good thing uh, and, and it's just completely fallen off the radar screen since so maybe this puts it back on a little bit yeah that is one of the really amazing things how much how much focus there used to be on the deficit when the deficit was lower or, or we were running a surplus and and now we've got these ridiculous levels of debt and it, it's just it's just not an issue so, yeah, we'll just Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. Just just kick her down the kick her down the road. But as you say, maybe this uh, maybe this has created a little bit more profile for you know something that ultimately does need to be addressed, and and uh, that can only be a good thing. Uh, but uh, Eric, thank you, uh, thank you as always. Great update. Uh, we still have to get you on uh, in 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 between these job reports to uh, to uh, to talk about some of the special work you've been doing. So we'll we'll try and get a little bit more discipline on that as we as we get out of the uh, the holiday season and into uh, a summer holiday season and into the uh, into the fall. So uh, Eric, thanks again, and uh, we'll uh, we'll try to catch you down the road, but it'll be hard because you're fast. Right. Thanks, Dave. It was fun. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.